Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, and he is my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, Super Bowl weekend is almost upon us. And with regards to Super Bowl weekend in Minneapolis, the biggest news for Packers fans will occur on Saturday evening because we will find out whether or not at long last if Jerry Kramer will be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Those decisions on the Hall of Fame class of 2018 are made the night before the Super Bowl. They'll be announced on the NFL Honors Show on Saturday evening. The inductions then would take place the following summer. Jerry Kramer, for the 11th time, is a finalist for the Hall of Fame, the second time as a uh, senior committee nominee. And uh, I know you and I uh, share the same opinion on this it's got to happen now well and here's the thing it absolutely has to happen now I mean this is it um Jerry just turned 82 years old last week I believe so uh this is his final crack probably um and here's the thing about this this argument because I've heard it for a number of years as long as I've been covering the Packers it's really hit fever pitch and I don't know what it was like in 1997 the last time he was up as a a senior finalist and what the conversation what the narrative was like but here's my argument. I laid it out in Insider Inbox on Thursday. Jerry Kramer stopped playing football 50 years ago. He retired. <laughs> this is still a topic. This is still something from when he was 32 years old to when he was 82 years old that remains in the public domain. I, I don't want to get into the minds of Hall of Fame voters or why we're at the point that we are, but if popular opinion, if overwhelming public sentiment has us to this point, why is this still a debate? Yeah. It's an honest question. Yeah, it is. Because right. it's it's like are we doing what is right for the game of football? And I think there's a lot of pro football Hall of Fame voters and I know several of them that feel like everything up to this point has done that. But it just seems to me that if this is still a topic in 2018, 50 years after he retired, something in the the program didn't work. Yeah. And I think that's why, as I said, this Saturday night, the Pro Football Hall of Fame voters have a chance to right one of the game's biggest wrongs. Yeah, and I simplify this in a different way because you're talking about that 50 years have gone by a perfectly uh, – and I like the way you phrase that, a perfectly valid way to think about it. I go back to the very beginning in the way I simplify this in that you can talk about all the all the noise and all the reasons and all the comparisons and this and that. But back in the beginning, essentially, 1969, Jerry Kramer was one of 15 players. 15 players in the league voted by the Hall of Fame voters onto the NFL's 50th anniversary team. One of 15 players. 14 of those 15 are in the Hall of Fame. Jerry Kramer is the only one who is not. And if you want to compare the number of all pros and there's the talk about, oh, there's too many Lombardi Packers in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I just, I'm sorry, I toss all of it out. Because if the guy was voted to the NFL's 50th anniversary team, why is he not in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. It just to, to me, it absolutely doesn't make sense. If he was good enough from that the same type of voters, and I realize that people on the committee change over the years, but if the same, essentially the same voting body voted him to that 50th anniversary team, how can you know all these these ten times as a finalist later he not get the votes to get in? I don't understand it. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point, Mike, because. 
it is the way that I view this thing. I honestly, in 2018, I don't view this as a referendum on Jerry Kramer, as strange as it sounds, because he's the one that's up to be an, a candidate and inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I honestly, and I'll say this to all my friends that are on that voting panel, I honestly think this is a referendum on the Pro Football Hall of Fame itself. Because I think for too long the conversation has been about why Jerry Kramer doesn't deserve to get in, rather than why are we standing in the way of it. And I think a part of it is that not enough people have gone to bat for him over the years. And I commend his daughter, Alicia. I commend his family for continuing to push his cause. Because you know how Kramer is. For as much as you know the, the instant replay book and things like that, people at times criticized him for his outspokenness on certain different yeah. avenues. Yeah. He's really not a big self-promoter in regards to the Pro Football Fame. You talked to him yeah. earlier this year. He doesn't want to talk about absolutes, and I, need to, I deserve to be in. It's always been about I'm going to be happy at the end of the day. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it's not going to change the way I live. And I'll be honest with you, Mike. I, I just feel like after this amount of time that – if we're still talking about this, Weston Hockwitz, who wasn't born in 1969, <laughs> let alone 1986, is in this conversation. It, it should have ended a long time ago. Yeah, and I commend Jerry Kramer, frankly, for the way he's handled this over the years because I've I've had multiple conversations with him about it um, for interviews on Packers.com and and whatnot. And his his answer up until this latest opportunity now to be a finalist again, his answer has always been the NFL has been so good to me and given me so much in my life because it hasn't given me this one thing. I'm not going to let that yeah, ruin everything. Sure. I'm not going to let that, you know, affect me on a daily basis as, 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 uh, as he goes about it. And as you said, now it's been 50 years since he's been retired. It's been 20 years since he was last a finalist in 1997 via the seniors committee. Um, you know, I would, I, I personally for him would hate to see him go through this again and not get it. Yeah. I mean, it would almost be better if he's not going to get it, it would almost be better if he had never come up as a finalist again. And yeah. 1997 becomes the last chapter. Right. So I'm really hoping on a personal level for Jerry Kramer referendum on the pro football hall of fame and all that aside, which I agree with right. for Jerry on a personal level, he's got to get it. There's a human being involved with this yes. at the end of the day. And I, I want to point out two more things here because I know we're gonna have to get to a break. Pro Football of Fame is about guys who change the game, right? Yeah. That, that's that's who is supposed to be included in this illustrious group. You could talk about the sweep. You could talk about the fact he was a place kicker. I mean, there's so many different things that you can mention in terms of what his credentials are, the, the team that you mentioned, the Pro Bowls, the All-Pros. The other thing I go back to, too, is that he is one of the greatest ambassadors of Green Bay Packers football, whether it was in the 60s or whether it's been in the 2000s. He is the face of along with Bart Starr and a number of other people, but he is one of the faces of that generation of Packers, and I just think that has to count for something. Yeah, I think so too. With that, we do have to go to a break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford alongside Wes Hodkowitz. And Wes, continuing our discussion of the upcoming Hall of Fame announcement, to put uh, Jerry Kramer's case aside for a minute, you've got 15 finalists for a maximum of five spots in the, uh, the what they call the modern era class for the Hall of Fame. Kramer, as a senior committee nominee, his case is considered separately, yeah. just so, so people understand. 
When you look at this group of 15 finalists, maximum of five can be chosen to be inducted. To me, this looks like a tough class to crack in the sense of what I mean by that is Brian Urlacher, Ray Lewis, and Randy Moss are all eligible for the first time to get into the Hall of Fame. I think all three of them are Hall of Famers and have a very good chance of getting in. And then you add Terrell Owens, who came like one or two votes away last year from getting in. That right there might be four of the five in this class. Now, there are some voters who don't necessarily always fully support guys the first time they come up. They they like to consider some of the other guys who have been on the list longer because they know that those guys who are newly eligible basically have 25 years, potentially a 25 year window to get in. But that being said, those, those guys who are finalists and who are eligible for the first time, those three plus Terrell Owens, that might be 80% of this hall of fame modern era class. Yeah, it very well might be. I mean, I look at, in my mind, I don't know how you can have a pro football hall of fame class this year. That definitely doesn't have Ray Lewis and Brian Urlacher. And I just think those guys completely changed the game. Randy Moss uh, had just a phenomenal career, and then obviously that resurgence with the New England Patriots that I kind of liken a little bit to what Charles Woodson had with the Packers, where he probably had the credentials to begin with, but that just puts it over the top. The 23 touchdowns that one season, I know it it ended kind of quietly in 2010 and 2012, but I'm guessing if he didn't actually end up coming back with the 49ers, he'd probably be in the Hall of Fame already. Owens is such a unique case yeah. uh, just because of the ups and downs of his career and, and certainly trying to figure out you know, the balance between his physical athleticism and some of the controversy that followed him. Uh, I basically am putting it down to this. I'm very curious, outside of those top three new candidates who I think are all first ballot Hall of Famers, who potentially fills out the rest of that class. Some really good offensive linemen that deserve consideration, I think. Several of them will eventually get in. Um, I mean, just it's all over the board right now in terms of what they're going to be looking for. I know so many times when I talk to these guys, they mention how they wish it you were voting for 10 guys. You know yeah. that, that the, yeah. What you have to limit it to is so exclusive that it really makes those decisions heart-wrenching. Yeah, I think one of, the, one of the cases to follow that's very interesting I was reading a little bit about is a former Dallas Cowboys cornerback, Everson Walls. Yeah. He's a finalist, and what makes his case really interesting is he's at the end, I believe, of the twenty-five year or the twenty-five years since he Correct. retired. This is his last chance to get in through the modern era process without having to uh, to go the senior route later on. And there's you know him getting to the finalist stage now at this point. There's been you know an uptick in the interest in revisiting his career and what he did for those Tom Landry Cowboys teams and what he did with uh, you know on a defense that also had some uh, some other Hall of Fame players like Randy White and Tutal right. Jones and and guys like that. I just I think his I think his case is interesting. I remember watching him play for the Cowboys on television as a kid. I don't know you know I mean back then I'm not looking at these games thinking about who's going to be in the Hall of fame but he was definitely an upper echelon cornerback and uh and i'll just be very curious to see what happens with his case because this is sort of his his last chance by the regular route yeah and i think the one thing that's really interesting too mike the last few years it seems like the the narrative and sort of the argument for defensive backs has changed a little bit yeah when you look at not only i mean safeties are a position where it's really been difficult to gain traction but to some extent if you're not Deion sanders it's been really tough to get the cornerbacks in there as well at times just because you know 
being able to judge who really was the true, uh, you know, elite of, of those generations. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know a whole lot about Walls, but I do know those defenses he played on in Dallas and then obviously the New York Giants. Um, there are some talent, some really talented players around him. Um, so it will be interesting. This is, I think, probably the most difficult thing for a lot of these these voters is that it really you can have that 25-year window, as you said, where it's like, okay, well, first time and he'll have another chance next year. But when you get to the end of that, yeah. um, you really yeah. have a decision to make. Again, look, he, he can go into Kevin Mawai's up. I mean, Ty Law is up. Uh, Edger and James, Joe Jacoby from the Washington teams over yeah. the years. I, I think another guy to watch, too, that I'll throw in is, is Tony Baselli. And yeah. I say that because his career was cut short by injuries, he was considered the premier left tackle in the game during his time. The fact that, that uh, Terrell Davis got in with the shortened opens career. the door for everyone it it, op- it, it opens yeah. another door now I still think Terrell Davis getting in a lot of that had to do with his postseason dominance correct on top of what he did in a in a shortened career in the regular season but the fact that he got in it changes the perception on a guy like Baselli who was at the top of his game and at the top of the league but then didn't play as long as other guys like a Sterling Sharp even right. for that matter as yeah. well yeah I mean the fact that he only had really six seasons he was an expansion pick then by the Texans Dom Capers Texans the hope was he'd be able to you know put everything behind him and keep playing he didn't yeah um so it'll be very interesting to see this year and, and if it happens you know proceeding on the next year is how people view his career yeah well we got to get to another break back with more on Packers unscripted right after this Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford in this chair, Wes Hodkowitz in that one. And Wes, since it is Super Bowl weekend upon us here, we should probably talk about the Super Bowl. I <laughs> yeah, know we spend a lot of time talking about the Hall of Fame <laughs> stuff, which I think is interesting debate. But Eagles against the Patriots. The overarching storyline here I think is really interesting in the fact that you have Tom Brady and Bill Belichick going for their sixth Super Bowl together. Yeah against a team that is searching for its first Super Bowl championship in the Philadelphia Eagles, a team that has not won an NFL title since the pre-Super Bowl era, that being 1960, they beat Vince Lombardi's Packers at Franklin Field. That turned out to be the only postseason loss of Vince Lombardi's coaching career, by the way. But uh, 1960, the last time the Eagles won a title, they're trying to break that drought, and uh, and the Patriots trying to simply add to an impressive legacy. For me, Mike, this is one of the most intriguing Super Bowls, I think, in recent memory. And the reason I say that is because you have two imperfect teams vying for what I think a lot of people refer to as perfection <laughs> in terms of winning the Super Bowl. And I say that because you look at this this Patriots team and how they've had to sort of pull it together on defense a little bit. I think they finished the regular season like 26th or 27th in total defense. Yeah. But, you know, the way that they've kind of made the pieces fit in the playoffs, and, you know, you bring in James Harrison, he's playing significant snaps after not being on the roster a month ago. Uh, Kyle Van Noy, who was sort of a discarded, seen as a bust player coming out of Detroit. Right. He ends up being their starting outside backer. Uh, and then you look at Philadelphia. They lose Carson Wentz. They have to turn to a backup. They're, they're running backs. They've had a carousel there throughout the course of the year. Lost their starting left tackle. Lost their starting left tackle. Um, all those things together, Yeah. you still have to pull it out. You have to be able to find a way, and yep. I think both of these teams have done it. To me, 
I think you look at the Atlanta Falcons from a year ago, you look at a lot of these teams, it's not a guarantee you get back. So when you're there, you have to make the most of it. I think both of these teams, whoever comes out on top, ultimately is the best team from this particular season. Yeah, from a chess match standpoint, what intrigues me about this game is the fact that we saw in the NFC Championship game, the Eagles changed the narrative. They changed the storyline with what Nick Foles and that offense was able to do against the Minnesota Vikings, the number one defense in the league, that game plan with Doug Peterson, Frank Reich, that coaching staff, what they put together, and the way it was executed by those players to explode for that many points against the top defense in the NFL. On the other side, the customary procedure I guess you'd say for a Bill Belichick defense when he's got two weeks to prepare and he's been in these Super Bowls before is they come out with defensive looks that have not been on film that the other team cannot be prepared for they haven't seen it before and that offense has to be able to adjust on the fly to what the Patriots are doing because they're going to dig deeper in their playbook and find some things that haven't been used and they're going to try to surprise the opponent with it and see how they react. From a chess match standpoint, that makes this really interesting it, to me. It does. It's a very compelling matchup. I still think, in my <clears> opinion, <throat> though, that the, the Patriots are the team with the most amount of pressure on them. Because as the Eagles have said, I mean, they're the underdogs. They're going to ride that all the way through. Even though they've been a number one seed in the yeah. NFC, they've been an underdog every single week. The reason why I say the pressure is on the Patriots is because Nick Foles in that Philadelphia offense that was not supposed to do anything against that number one ranked defense in the NFL, they surprised a lot of people. They opened up a lot of eyes. And as you were saying in our pre-production meeting, Doug Peterson, Frank Reich, the the game plan that they put together for that contest, remarkable. Now the question is, can Doug Peterson, the lifelong backup, the former high school football coach, can they do it again against one of the game's very best? It, I think, to me, I'm going to be glued to the television for all four hours, however long that thing goes. Yeah, and Doug Peterson, the former backup quarterback in Green Bay, he's got Brett Favre coming to he talk does. to the Philadelphia Eagles in their final team meeting on Saturday night. You know, maybe those little inspirational things, you never know how those can go. Yeah, and hopefully that, that pre-whatever meeting actually wraps up by the time kickoff starts yeah. on Sunday. Yeah, so. who knows how long Favre will talk, right? <laughs> with that, uh, let's take care of a little sponsor business. Today's a perfect day to fill up with some new Campbell's Chunky Max soup. Chunky Max is loaded with more meat than you can handle. A lot more. We're talking 40% more than a comparable Chunky Soup. So go on, fill up with new Campbell's Chunky Max soup. Campbell's Chunky Soup, the official soup partner of the Green Bay Packers, back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford here, Wes Hodkowitz over there. Okay, Wes, quickly before we go... Super Bowl 52, Patriots against the Eagles. I want to know who you think an X factor in this game is going to be, and then I want your prediction on what you think is going to happen. I think the X factor is going to be Rick Lovato, the former Packers long snapper <laughs> uh, that was serving sandwiches two years ago. and now in is the, Jer- be- the New Jersey sub shop? Yeah, he's going yeah. to be snapping in the Super Bowl. No, credit to Rick. I, I really liked him during his time. Nah, he he's a, a good, good dude. dude. I wish him well. Yeah. But to me, I think the biggest X factor, honestly, is going to be Nick Foles. And if Foles can can really, I don't want to say chop up, but, I mean, he just did everything so darn effectively against Minnesota. Yep. There were no holes in his game in that game. Yeah. He put the, he made the plays that were there downfield, and he was smart with the football. You have to do that against the New England Patriots. I think you saw the downfall. Even when Blake Bortles played a perfect game for 
55 minutes. When it came down to crunch time, the Patriots defense, they had the right calls. Bortles wasn't able to make enough plays. That was the difference. I think if, if Foles is able to protect the football, I think the, the Philadelphia Eagles are going to get their first Super Bowl victory because I see, even with, as you mentioned, all the changes that the, the Patriots are going to make, and I'm fully with you, they're going to show a lot of unscouted luck. I still think this is a – they played the best defense in the league last week, and if he did that to them, yeah. if you could find a way to replicate that again in these two weeks that they have to prepare for it, I think the, the Philadelphia Eagles come out on top. Yeah, for me, the X factor is also with the Eagles, and I'm going with running back Jay Ajay, if I'm saying that Ajay. correctly. Because when you talk about protecting Nick Foles, protecting the football, I think – I think Ajay and this running game of the Eagles is what is going to be Nick Foles' best friend and his and his potential protection against Matt Patricia's blitzes yeah. and whatever that New England defensive coordinator is going to throw at him. As far as a prediction, I'll say this. I think when the Patriots are in the Super Bowl, it's extremely hard to predict what's going to happen because yeah. if you look at the if you look at Tom Brady's career in the Super Bowl, he's lost two Super Bowls on the David Tyree helmet catch and the Mario Manningham diving sideline bomb catch. Yeah. And he's won two Super Bowls when the Seattle Seahawks decided to throw the ball from the one yard line instead of run it with Marshawn Lynch. And then last year, coming back from 28 to three and the Julian Edelman bounce all over the place, you know, catch in the middle of the field. That was such a huge part of that comeback. So prediction wise, I tell you, I, you know, anything can happen. The Super Bowls with the Patriots have shown us that, but I'm with you. I think the Eagles pull this thing out. Yeah. And I'd like to see if their backfield, as you mentioned, can outduel the backfield of the Patriots. I think there's a 10 or 11 running backs playing in this game. They both have stacked. <laughs> really use a lot of different looks. Yeah. If Jahi and you know Corey Clement, all those guys can pull it together, I think they're going to come up with a victory. All right. With that, we will call it a wrap. On this edition of Packers Unscripted, be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford, at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.